Hello world, welcome to the second episode of Jet Fuel Devs, a podcast taking you on a supersonic journey into the world of aviation blended with software development. I'm Dan, a pilot for a major U.S. airline and independent iOS developer. Flying with me is my co-host, Veronica. Veronica, welcome to episode two. Great. Hello, everyone. I'm so happy to also welcome you to another episode of our brand new podcast. Today, we've got an extraordinary guest on board, Mohamed Azam. He's a man who's worn many hats in the tech industry, mainly in the iOS development world. A successful content creator, the go-to Udemy and LinkedIn instructor for thousands of learners, an accomplished author, an inspiring speaker, and last but not least, a maestro in Swift and iOS development. This multi-phase tech quiz has been fueled the iOS development scene for years now, right, Dan? That's right, Mohammed. We're honored to have you on the show. I really do, again, appreciate you reaching out to us and uh, and uh, and coming on the show with such a young podcast as we are and young podcasters that we are uh we you know we're still working on the uh the format and the development of what you know of the uh, of jet fuel devs and uh, we want to welcome you you've like veronica said you've done so many things udemy youtube linkedin you're on twitter medium you're you're everywhere uh, you've got courses. Um, I'm actually, uh, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to admit I have two of your courses on Udemy. One of them I've never started and the other one I'm about 20% through. That's probably pretty uh, uh, pretty common, but uh, I went back and looked and I, I knew that I had some of your courses, but uh, I admit I have not finished either one. Uh, so, but uh, but we're really excited to have you here, and uh, just really want to hear for especially for people who may not know you in the in the developer community. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks a lot for having me. Um, as you've already mentioned, my name is Mohammad Azam. I'm located in Houston, Texas, and uh, currently, what I'm doing is my day job is as a boot bootcamp instructor. I teach for digital crafts, and I teach web development, full stack web development, so React, Redux, Node, Postgres SQL, and all of those uh, full stack stuff. And on the side. I also do iOS development, so I'm writing a lot of articles regarding SwiftUI architecture. And uh, most of the time, I'm actually not working on my apps, but I'm working on my Udemy courses. So I have close to 35 or maybe even 40 different courses on Udemy. And some of them are even licensed to LinkedIn Learning. Um, apart from that, I'm a, I've been speaking professionally since 2006. Just came back from New York, where I spoke at the New York 50 conference. I'll be going back again for Try Swift, so it's really exciting. Wow! Nice, nice. And do you have a traditional uh, degree in, in computer science as a background, or are you, you self-taught? No, I do have a traditional degree in computer science from University of Houston, but I must add that I don't think that degree was useful for what I did. I mean, when I graduated, because even at the time when I was learning in two thousand two, two thousand three. 2004, I was just an average student. So I was not really a like a really good student or anything. I was just an average student, but I was learning on my own .NET, so C Sharp, VB.NET, ASP.NET. And I think those things that I did independently on my own, that was the factor of getting me a job. And and how how old were you, or what really got you started in development in general? Was did your parents uh, were your parents uh, software engineers in any way? No, my, my father is a civil engineer, but uh, I 
obviously grew up in Pakistan. And at the time that I was growing up over there, um, there were only two things you can select mainly. You can either become an engineer or you can become a doctor. And in our family, we had both the engineers and the doctors. Uh, but I was mostly interested in playing games like, you know, Pac-Man and Centipede and Moon Patrol and all those fun games. Um, I was more towards uh, computer science or just making software and just playing games. I think that led me to pursue software engineering. Wow, that's great. Can you tell us more about what are you currently working on? You said that you're now um, teaching in a bootcamp, but how about um your products like your apps and um, are you currently developing something for yourself and yeah so currently i am i i'm scheduled to do a workshop at tri swift new york conference obviously in new york uh with natasha and so i am wow when is going to be that when is going to be that conference because i'm going to new york this month so yeah i think it's in september september four or seven or something. It should be in September. And it will be on uh, Create ML and Machine Learning for iOS developers. So I am currently preparing for that workshop. I know it's a bit far away, but I'm still, I, I plan, I always try to do early so that I can do repetition and improve it. And I'm also working on a Create ML Udemy course, which I'm recording at the same time. So those are the two things I'm doing. Wow, so you also do ML. That's great. I thought that um, you're mostly into um, iOS development and uh, web development, but ML is uh, very exciting. Uh, speaking of that, uh, are you incorporating uh, some AI into your development workflow, like into your uh, web or mobile apps? Um, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about integrating AI into your products? Um... I don't think I have integrated. I did a course on ChatGPT and how you can build iOS applications with integration with ChatGPT. So that course on Udemy, I already published. But yeah, I do heavily use ChatGPT for creating exercises for my students. Um, Sometimes I will write uh, some sort of a description or just a corporate email, and I will paste it in ChatGPT and I will say write it better so that it can improve all the English and replace it with much better stuff. So that's what I use, uh, writing YouTube descriptions, writing Udemy descriptions, sometimes even writing tweets. I will just say, write a tweet, like a marketing tweet for me. Uh, so I am using it very heavily, yes, ChatGPT at least. I suppose you could consider, uh, you could consider ML uh, as a form of AI, of course, machine learning AI. I mean, CICD, these, I think the terms uh, you know, might get blended together a fair amount, but the, that's, that's cool that you're, you're speaking at uh, TriSwift. That was actually going to be the first conference that I went to uh, back in 2020. I, I was uh, planning to go. I bought a ticket um, to go to TriSwift New York, and then, of course, the pandemic happened and, and uh, everything shut down until, um, until, well, recently when I went to Deep Dish Swift in Chicago just recently. So that's cool that you're going to be there. Unfortunately, I will not make it this year, but uh, maybe next year I can make it to New York. Sure. Yeah, that will be great. Yeah, I couldn't make it to Deep Dish. It didn't align with my schedule, and I was already at New York 50, so I don't think my job would have allowed me to go on multiple conferences in the same month. But I heard it was pretty good. I have no doubt that Natasha uh, puts on a great conference. She's been doing this for a very long time. Uh, and uh, I'm sure you'll have a great time. Have you done uh, a TriSwift conference in the past? 
I've done Triswiverld, uh, which is remote, uh, at least three, four times. So I, I did presented workshops uh, on augmented reality, on uh, Sophia MVVM architecture, and uh, I don't remember. I think MVVM a couple of times, but yeah, I did. I think three or four times the remote one. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good that was a good setup too. I think she did a great job adapting TriSwift uh, with the pandemic and and doing the TriSwift world was uh, was awesome. I participated in a few of those uh, events as well. You, you mentioned the architecture, and that was something that uh, that we had talked about before in the in the pre show. Uh, mm -hmm. Swift UI and and architecture and and some design principles that uh, that um, you know is, is always a topic of discussion. I think. What what are your thoughts and what what uh, architecture do you well, it's it's hard to, you know, what, what do you prefer to use, I guess? When I started with Swift UI, which, which was 2019, as soon as it came out, um, just like other people, I just jumped onto the MVVM bandwagon. I was promoting it. I wrote articles and books and speaking opportunities. I was speaking about it. Basically, I was everywhere uh, talking and advocating to the idea of MVVM. But uh, when I started creating more and more apps, it became clear to me that it's not necessarily the best architecture, at least for me personally, to use. Because when you create the view models, you're just creating some separate layers, and those layers are not really providing you anything. So the view itself contains all the different capabilities of being a view model. Now, of course, we're not saying that you should put and shove everything inside the view. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that follow what Apple is doing in their food truck application and Scrum Dinger application, which is very different from what people are doing. What people are doing and what I did for a very long time, for three years, whenever I added a view, I would add a view model. Even though the source of truth was the same, I just keep adding these things and they keep building up. So I have like 30 screens, so I'll have 30 view models. And it becomes very hard to maintain that what's going on. Uh, even the views in SwiftUI are not really the real views. They are just a description of the definition of the view or the declaration of the view. So that's also a little bit different in that case. But when I presented that idea, probably last year, um, it didn't really went down nicely. I mean, people were all over me. <laughs> people were like, oh, no, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And it was kind of... Well, it was strange to see such a, such a strong reaction, but I think it was uh, something with the architecture. You will always get that kind of a reaction because architecture is very you know close to everyone. Uh, but I didn't really move around that much. I said, no, I think this is not the right way to do it. I'm not going to use view models on MVVM anymore. I'm going on a different route. It's called MV, which, which is Apple is promoting that. So I'm just going to use that. And fast forward much like one year now all of, a lot of people are talking about it a lot of people are like well yeah this doesn't make any sense i'm adding view models this doesn't make any sense a lot of people are open for that discussion which which is really encouraging for me to see that uh, at least they are open for discussion and they are discussing the architecture uh, and not shutting it down immediately so that's always fun to see that uh, how people were you know against the particular architecture that Apple proposed. I mean, it's not like I'm proposing anything, uh, but now they're moving towards the same thing slowly and slowly. So that's kind of fun to see, at least for me. Absolutely. People, uh, you know, maybe it's part of the fact that people are resistant to change. 
we already know what MVVM is, uh, if you you know, and and so when SwiftUI came along, maybe it was just the a a known architecture for a new um, a kind of a new framework, if you will. And so let's just try to make them work together. But can you expand mm -hmm. on on MV? So basically, the whole idea is that the and especially for the client server application is instead of creating the view models, you will create a data store or a model. You can call it aggregate model or anything. It doesn't really matter what you call it. So instead of creating every time you add a screen, every time you add a view, instead of creating view model for every single screen, you will add just one data store or aggregate model, one class, one observable object, and that is going to give you the data using some sort of a HTTP client or a web service. So the source of truth has not changed. The source of truth in a client-server app is the server. So if it's not changing, why do we keep on adding observable object? Because every time you create observable object, that's a new source of truth. But the source of truth has not changed. It's the server. So why do we keep adding it blindly? So that is what's, what was going on. Um, and it's kind of hard for me to obviously go over it on, on a podcast, but I've written number of articles on the, and it's not even called MV pattern. There's no name for it, but we just started calling it MV, which might not be a really good name. I wrote a lot of articles about this, that this is how you should be dividing things. You should not be blindly adding view models after view models every time you add a screen. You should only add when the source of truth has actually changed. So that's my, so, so in an app, in a small app, I will just have one observable object that will provide the data for all of the views. It becomes so much simpler to use and uh, you know, much simpler to just build the whole application in a much nicer way. I really like that, um, looking at what Apple has done. Apple you know, built Swift initially and, and built Swift UI, and clearly they have a vision uh, for the future of where this is going, and uh, we're going to get a glimpse of that. Uh, this podcast is, is being recorded a day before WWDC. Uh, and so we're going to get more insight as to what Apple's been working on over the last year. And I have to believe that SwiftUI is going to be an integral part to uh, the much rumored uh, headset, uh, any advancements in, in watchOS interface, I mean, um, iOS 17. And, and I, I mean, SwiftUI is, is the future of Apple development and how they're structuring their apps and, and their architecture. I mean, it, it would seem uh, silly to... I mean, how, I guess, how could you argue against that? You know, this is what Apple's doing with their own their own architecture. So that makes a lot of sense to me. We'll provide a, a link in the show notes for sure to uh, Scrumdinger. I know I've looked at that app uh, in the past, but I'm going to look at it again uh, in their architecture because that's, uh, that's great advice. Yeah, I think there was, uh, I, I recently did a talk, and unfortunately that talk is not available yet for New York Swifty, where I talked about the whole architecture thing. I went over a lot of things that I learned in three years um, there was also a there's also another sample from Apple which is called the food truck application. If you see the food truck application, they're just reading information from a JSON file. There is another session from Apple called Xcode with server side Swift. For a split second, at some 14 minute and 06 seconds, there's a screenshot that Apple shows the code where they are using a HTTP client. So. I compared it with what I was doing already, and it kind of checks out that Apple is also using it the way that I was trying to use in a, in, in a different way. Um, so that was also confirming that in a client-server application, you should be 
you know, you should be using it server as the source of truth, and the client obviously is just the SIF UI application. So you you don't you don't have to create observable object after observable object every single time. Uh, only when the source of truth has actually changed, or maybe your application is too big, then you can create one for the catalog. If you're creating an e-commerce application, one for the fulfillment, one for the inventory, one for something else. So that's fine, but just don't add view model after view model after view model just because you're adding a new view. That doesn't really make any sense. So just to, to focus on the, um, to step back so I'm, I'm clear on, on it, you have, as long as you have a source of truth, stick to that sort of source of truth for each view. Is that, is that about right? Depending on the app, let's say that you're building a very small app and uh, you're building a, your app displays Pokemons. So you will create a Pokemon store, which will be an observable object class. That store will be responsible for providing Pokemon models to the view, and that's it. You don't have to create Pokemon list view model, Pokemon add view model, Pokemon detail view model, no view model, no nothing. Just get the data. The Pokemon store is going to use the HTTP client to fetch all the information about those Pokemons and then just give it to the view. That's it directly, and you're done. That's very interesting. And um, one quick question. It's like the never, never, never ending question that's been always on Twitter and on all social medias um, about SwiftUI. Um, first, are you, obviously I guess, I guess the answer will be yes, but are you Mohammed's team SwiftUI or UIKit? Which side are you taking? SwiftUI, definitely. I mean, since 2019, I have been doing SwiftUI and uh, it's, it's definitely much faster to create your user interfaces. And I think it, the good thing is that SwiftUI is just so much similar to Flutter and React, which I already have a lot of experience right. with. It was, at least for me, it was not really uh, a steep learning curve. It was very natural to, to just learn SwiftUI. That's true. I really found it very actually easy because I obviously started with UIKit and then switched to SwiftUI and I'm like, why I didn't do this earlier? Why I didn't start with SwiftUI in the first place, you know? But can you uh, expand more on the SwiftUI limitations? Like in your uh, opinion, based on your experience, what are its greatest limitations of SwiftUI? I think the, some of the limitations that I find is uh, found is on the view side, meaning like the map view is very limited. I don't think you can do uh, draw lines on the map, uh, so you have to use MK map view. So you have to jump into UI kit to, or the map kit to get that stuff. Um, the errors, the debugging can be sometimes very hard to do. Like uh, it might be throwing throwing some exception in Xcode and it's completely wrong. It, it will say, right. I mean, you might be missing just a curly brace, but it might be saying completely different that you're returning a wrong type or something like that. Um, Apart from that, I think with Flutter and with React, there is a concept of view testing. Uh, in Flutter, it's called widget testing, and in React, it's called uh, mounting your view. Okay. We don't really have that. We don't really have that in SwiftUI. The closest thing we have is to use View Inspector, which is like a third-party thing, third-party library that you can use. Anytime you have to 
test test your view, you actually have to write, which is fine, you actually have to write an end-to-end -end test, which can be slow, but it's slow because it does a lot of things. So, you know, I tend to test most of my views just by using export previews. So most of my views are just tested manually. But if there is a very complicated view, like if I'm working on a some sort of a filter for hotel where you can check Wi-Fi and parking and breakfast and all those different filters, then I will just extract that out into a struct and then I will write a test for the struct. When it's done, I will integrate it and done. Great. And uh, for example, if I was a newbie, like starting, just starting with the iOS development, uh, would you advise me to start uh, directly with SwiftUI or shall I just start with uh, for SwiftUI kit? This is just an advice for all the new uh, or wannabe, let's say, iOS developers. Yeah, this is a very hard question to, to answer because right now most of the companies yeah. are still using uh, UI kit. So the probability that you will end up on a job where they're UI, where they're doing UI kit and their application is already using UI kit is very high. Um, if you're working on a startup kind of scenario where they're building the application from scratch, then probably you should go with Swift UI. Most, I mean, that's just a very good decision. I mean, that's just a you know plain decision. Um, but yeah, if you're working in an environment where you know that you'll be working with companies and maintaining code which has which was written like ten years ago. And you do need to accommodate for that time. So you do need to learn UI kit. So maybe you can, if you know where you're going to get the job, then maybe you can distribute your time 75% Swift UI, 25% UI kit, or depending on if you're joining a large company and working on a maintenance project, you might have to do 75% time UI kit and 25% Swift UI. Well, I started with, with UI kit, and when Swift UI came out, uh, I didn't. I didn't know any better. Yeah, I was just UI kit is is how you write apps in in iOS, and and uh, so that's fine, uh, and that's what I did. But when Swift UI came out for me, it really just made sense. The the H stack, Z stack, V stacks, uh, you know, it really I could visualize the 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 view in my head just looking at the code, which with UI kit I really couldn't, and so I I jumped right on top of Swift UI right as soon as it, it was released. I was like, this is for me, this makes sense in my brain, and and just thinking about anybody getting started in it, where should I start? You know, I mean, I think I think Mohammed, your your advice is great. Like, there's going to be a lot of UI kit obviously out there if you're looking for a job. But uh, but sometimes you're just looking for the, like a like an easy win, you know. And and, and if Swift UI makes sense to you, yeah, uh, you know, getting started, it's it's like you say, it's much easier to build apps to get something on the screen right away with Swift UI. And for me, that especially in the beginning, you know, you, you don't want to get bogged down in in, in a, a bunch of errors and not understanding, and it can be very frustrating and defeating. And uh, if, if SwiftUI makes sense to you and, and you get those little wins of getting your, your name or a text field on the screen or maybe, you know, a list, uh, you know, rather than a table view, it, it, uh, it, I think SwiftUI is, is very fulfilling. Of course, it has its limitations, but um, uh, it, it's funny you mentioned that about the map, uh, Mohammed, because uh, my running app, uh, which currently has a bug in it with location and, and illustrating uh, points on a map, but... That's all I do. It's 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 all written in SwiftUI with a, a route that I have run uh, in in you know during a during a workout. 
Um, and all I did was just instead of drawing a line because I couldn't figure out how to do that with Swift UI, uh, I just did points, you know, and, and then um, I think I took every every fourth location uh, from uh, the watch as, as, a, as a person is running. Um, I just gave a point for every fourth one. So I don't have just a, a 10,000 dots or whatever on a map and, and to, to break it up, but it, it looks like a line. Of course, you can't see the direction, but uh, um, that's what I did to work around that. I think, yeah, and I think obviously Apple is going all in with Swift UI. And as we go near WWDC and maybe a few years now, I mean, a few years in the future also, we'll keep on adding some new controls. Like I think last time they released a charts control and keep on adding these controls so that developers were more focused on the business side of things rather than, oh, now I need to make a chart from scratch. That's too much work. So that's why they're. They're giving us these Lego blocks that we can just, you know, stick together uh, and then make the app work. And more focus should be moved into business side of things where the heart of the application is. That's where the that's where the application or the software development is actually now going. Uh, that we can quickly build the interface. Our main focus should be on the business side of things, like the actual domain domain layer. How do you? Um... Man, with everything that you do, Muhammad, how much? How do you manage your time? Uh, I mean, you've got you've got books that you've written. I mean, YouTube videos. Your full time job as a as a teacher at the boot camp. Uh, how do you how do you divide up your day? Yeah, it's definitely hard. I try to work on one thing mostly at a time, uh, so I don't really have any ten different projects going on. Um, and I try to work on only the things that can give me the best return on my investment. So I have written a number of books, but book writing is, I mean, it's not really for me. I mean, I'm more into video creation. I can do that quickly. I, I mean, I've been doing it since 2006, so I'm pretty good at uh, recording videos very quickly. So I usually spend time over there. And obviously, book uh, the videos generate more revenue as compared to books. But my, uh, whenever I have to get time, I mean, it's usually early mornings or late nights and the weekends. So those are the only time available for me. I go very slow, but it's just that I'm consistently moving forward. So like a tortoise and a rabbit race, I'm the tortoise. I'm just trying to take one step at a time. Yes, eventually, after a couple of months, I will reach the point where I can, uh, you know, where I can publish the course. Um, another thing I've found is that all of these technologies, while you're working with React or you're working with Flutter or SwiftUI, so much uh, relatable, they're so much same that you can apply the knowledge that you learn in React into SwiftUI. The knowledge that you learn in SwiftUI, you can apply in Flutter and vice versa. So all of those things are just interchangeable now. So uh, like right now, People are talking about server-side pages using Next.js, and I'm like, yeah, I did that in 2000 and you know 2002. That's called ASP.NET, graphic server pages. That's like super old stuff. And kids these days, they're like, oh no, why would you build it on the server? That doesn't make any sense. I'm like, well, we did that in 1999, so that's the same thing. We're just doing it again in a different way. So it's always good to have relatable things that you can uh, obviously relate to, and that kind of clarifies also. But uh, yeah, definitely time, early mornings, late night, weekends, 
Uh, I do get three weeks off every 17 weeks, so every cohort when it ends, which is ending actually really, next week is actually ending, my next cohort is ending, I'll get three weeks off, and I'll use that time to work on the workshop for TriSwift and ML and create ML and maybe look at a lot of videos from WWDC also. So uh, working on one thing at a time is basically the trick of avoiding uh, burnout, right? Do you think uh, that's the trick? <laughs> I do get burnt out usually when I'm at my, at my job, usually around like weeks 15 and 16 because teaching is, you know, teaching is kind of like a hard job because I'm giving lectures and I'm helping students and everything. Yeah. Um, but, the good, but the good thing is that we do have some time, kind of like time off built in uh, in the cohort. So around week 10, I can take like three days off. Those three days I actually use to, some people will go on a vacation, but my vacation is to go and speak at a conference. So I considered that a vacation. So that's what I did. Oh, wow. I went to New York and I, and I spoke at New York 50. Uh, and now I'm in week 17, so it's going to end on Tuesday. So like in a couple of days, so the cohort is going to end. Um, so usually what I do, I, usually I am burned out at the end. But to get my health bar to 100%, I usually go on a solo trip for hiking somewhere. So I'm I'm planned to go the week after next. I'm going to Seattle, a solo trip uh, to Mount Rainier. I'm just going to hike around that area. I think that's very important to me that I go on these small trips, whether they're like two, three days or four or five days, and that kind of you know clears up my mind. I think it was a couple of years ago uh, when Swift UI came out, or I think it was Swift UI it was coming out. So it was 2019. I was just so much like, okay, I need to create a course. I need to be the first person who launched a course. I kind of went crazy. I didn't sleep for a couple of days. I was just recording course, recording the videos and all that stuff that I want to be the first. I was not the first. Somebody else published it actually before me. Then I had a trip planned to Portland, Oregon for hiking. I was putting my microphone in my luggage so that I can record it in Portland, Oregon during my hiking. Well, not during, but, you know, in the hotel. And that was like, uh, that was like a wake-up call for me. I'm like, what am I doing? This was supposed to be fun. What, what am I doing over here? Why am I taking my work stuff and why am I taking this microphone with me so I can record? It, it can wait. You know, nobody cares. It can wait. And I think at that time, and, and usually now what I do is I'll watch a couple of videos, but I kind of like don't go crazy because I know there are a lot of, you know, YouTubers and they like to watch video after video after video. They take the whole month, a uh, whole week off. I don't really want to do that anymore. I think it was really bad for my health. I just, uh, I just slow it down really. Uh, you know, I'll work on the course. If I, if something new comes out, I'll definitely work on it, but I won't work on it like no sleep. I will work on it for a couple of, maybe one hour or 45 minutes. Yeah, eventually I'll publish it. Um, but uh, that was kind of like a wake-up call for me when I was like packing my microphone on my vacation and I'm like, okay, what am I doing? Yes, I actually just read exactly that to, uh, tweet today, uh, your tweet uh, regarding uh that period of uh time and uh, actually it was an eye-opener because you know in the end of the day we are all on a race and uh, i think that that's what you were thinking that time okay i have to be the first one i have to be the you know it's 
Well, you know, what I wanted, what it made me think about was uh, Veronica, we were talking once before and and she said every success requires investment. And I I have that written down, that quote by her, because uh, I just really admire that thinking every success requires investment. It's just a very simple statement. But but, uh, you know, we're all trying to succeed at something. I, I like to like to think about what fuels you, what fuels, you know, what fuels me to, to drive forward. Um, and, uh, and, and it all requires investment. But yet you have to step away because uh, because that burnout is uh, is is very prevalent and can be very real and can hit you really hard. So having that time set aside, do you say you do this trip uh, about once a year, uh, Mohammed? Do you take a trip? Um. It depends, I guess. I mean, I try to do it uh, after every go hard. I mean, it's not like a long trip or anything. Um, sometimes when my family is also on a off, I mean, the, the kids are off, so they will come with me. Like they're going with me in July uh, to Colorado for just hang out. Um, but uh, usually for hiking trips, I usually go solo. I like to go solo because sometimes the hike can be long and sometimes the hike can become a little bit dangerous. Um, like I think 2022 April, I went to Rocky Mountains alone. It was all snow, so I had all the equipment to walk on the snow. The last thing that was, you have to climb on a mount. Well, not a mountain. It was kind of like it was a steep climb, and there was nobody there. I mean, like I was the only one, so it was kind of dangerous. If some, I mean, so if if I fall down and all that stuff, I mean, what's going to happen? There's nobody there. So I don't think my kids and you know they can do like 10 or 11 mile hike. So usually for longer hikes, I go alone. For smaller stuff, one or two miles, yeah, I'll, I'll take the family. Nice, nice. Well, that's, that's great. Do you come up with ideas uh, for what your next on your projects or do you just pretty much let go? Yeah, yeah. For the course, I usually try to create the courses on something that I want to learn. So I, want to, I wanted to learn Create ML and I tweeted about it like a long time ago. And that's why Natasha actually called me up. She said that, Hey, uh, we are having this uh, conference in September. Do you want to do a create ML workshop? Because you were talking about it in your tweet. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. So I'm preparing for the workshop while preparing for the course. So kind of like hitting two birds with the same one stone or something. Um, but sometimes I will ask online on Twitter that, hey, which course should I create? Or I will ask my existing students, uh, Udemy students, that which course do you want to you know, do you want me to create? Um, but uh, WWDC definitely gives me a lot more options. If something new, completely new comes out, like a new framework, um, then I would be more interested in creating a course on that one. Yeah. And what what do you advise anybody new getting into software development? What advice do you have for somebody just starting day one? I want to get into software. Where do I start? What What would you say? I think the first advice would be this is this is a long journey. So you cannot become like a developer in a couple of months, like two two months. I mean, you can become like a, you know, you, you will know how to do a little bit of things, but uh, it will take a very long time to to master your craft. Um, my advice is to, is to whatever you're learning, you're learning Python, you're learning web development or iOS development, uh, try to practice it every single day don't don't just read books or watch videos, but practice it every single day. Because in the end, the people who are successful, uh, they are the people who were able to fight the boredom of just practicing the same thing or a new thing every single day, every single day, they just show up every single day. 
whether it is 35 minutes, 45 minutes to an hour, but you just have to show up every single day and don't give up. Uh, you know, have grit to fight through those problems and uh, be consistent. And just try to try to learn things. Every day, just learn something new, and it's gonna build up. Every day you're building. Every day you're learning. In a year, you will know a lot more. In two years, you'll know a lot more. But uh, you will have to start learning. Don't give up. And just be very consistent with your learnings. That's a great advice. That's a really great advice to everyone. Just don't give up, right? Can I just ask you quickly on how do you get people excited, uh, like your students, uh, on the topic that you are teaching? I always find it helpful to give them a real use case uh, so that I'm not talking about some theoretical stuff which, we may, which they never experience. Um, so when I'm talking about like a list that, okay, we're trying to learn a list, like an array, I'll show them Twitter, I'll show them Facebook, I'll show them uh, eBay with all the listing, and then I'll, sh I'll tell them that these all things are probably inside an array, and you're just looking it on the screen, like all the tweets are inside an array. And so apart from that, I tell them that you're, you're, you're in a great field, but you will never get bored. Every year is different, and whether you're in web development or iOS development or Android, you're just gonna be learning and learning and learning. And this is a, a job that can pay you really, really good. You can travel on the job, you can you know, meet a lot of people. Um, but regarding the topics, yeah, I give them like a practical sense, not theoretical, like an actual practical sense of what they can accomplish, whether they're working on their own passion project or they're working on the assignment. I always tell them like a very practical thing. I think for my students is always go, or when I teach, I always also tell them that, hey, once you learn this, you will, once you learn this in React, uh, it's very similar in Flutter. So you will already know kind of Flutter and you will already know uh, UI because they're all very similar stuff. With learning one thing like about components in React, you will learn Vue in UI or widgets in Flutter. So they're all very much interconnected or very much relatable. So that gives them a little bit more confidence that, oh, I'm just going to learn this thing and now I'll a little bit know two or three things automatically. So that gives them confidence to move forward. Mohammed, again, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and, and reaching out. Uh, it's great to hear your story and, uh, and you know, it, it's impressive to see what you've done. It's obvious that you're fueled by by helping, by teaching, uh, and by software in general. You know, Swift, Apple, but also web development. You have an extensive background, so it's great to hear your story and uh, everything that you're doing. Thank you again. Thank you, Mohammed. Thank you. And finally, where can where can we find you online, uh, Mohammed? I'm pretty active on Twitter, so you can find find me at at Azam Sharp, A Z A M S H A R P. Great. And we will, uh, of course, publish all the links in the show notes that we've talked about. So thank you very much for uh, tuning in to Jet Fuel Devs.